Well, good morning. Uh, again, thank you for the opportunity of sharing uh, this morning. Uh, there was another handout we're dealing today with the item 8 and 9 uh, from the doctrinal statement that uh, is presented by the Christian Community Churches of Victoria and Tasmania. And uh, last week we uh, dealt with 6 and 7 and today we're looking at uh, number 8 and 9 and the actual statement of 8 and 9 is on that handout and if you haven't got one there on the table uh, in the foyer. I must uh, uh, thank my dear wife who rescued me this morning again because I came this morning without my PowerPoint and so she went home and got it and here it is and the timing was good. And uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so thanks for the uh, opportunity to share. Uh, I'd like to read to you, uh, the other reading that we will be looking at is Matthew's Gospel chapter 19 because uh, the, the theme of these two items in the doctrinal statement are about uh, Christian living, which we're taking from Galatians that we've read this morning, and morality and marriage uh, in item 9. And from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, uh, it was when the Pharisees were actually uh, bringing the issue of divorce to Jesus. And in verse 4 he said, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So basically that scripture and the Galatians 6 is where we're heading this morning. So first of all, uh, we look at uh, spirit-filled Christian living. Uh, The new life that we have in Christ is like a war, a war between the flesh and the spirit. We might ask the question, how do I exercise love in contrast to legalism and libertarianism? We walk by the spirit. How do I walk by the spirit? By not carrying out the desires of the flesh. How do I not carry out the desire of the flesh? By making war against the flesh. Realising that there is constantly a conflict. Paul begins in Galatians uh, with a simple exhortation to walk in the spirit. The words flesh and spirit are each used ten times in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians. To be a Christian... To be a follower of Jesus is to walk by the Spirit. Clearly, Paul has moved from the theological issues of the first chapters of Galatians to the ethical issues. He moves from the head, if you like, to the hands. It isn't enough to believe. We must also live consistently with what we believe. We must walk the talk. If we say we believe, well, it must be demonstrated in our life. Do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look to Christ and not yourself. Do not ask what will lead to personal happiness, but what will lead to holiness. So it's not the pursuit of happiness that we're about. It's really the pursuit 
of holiness. Verse 17 says, the flesh is at war with the spirit. The spirit is at war with the flesh. This is a civil war that's raging in our hearts every day. One of them will win in your life and mine. Unless you're fighting by faith, you will surrender to the flesh and I will surrender to the flesh unless we're aware of that conflict. Verse 18, maybe you're thinking, but I keep losing. In Christ, you are led by the Spirit. A writer by the name of Begg once said, effective Christian living is not the product of human regulation, but divine transformation. The same God who saves you is the same God who transforms you. In verses 19 to 21 and verse 24, you've got that outline uh, in your hand. A common, it was common in ethical teachings in the time of the New Testament that they would contrast uh, the vices and virtues and they would provide a list. And Paul uses that uh, frequently, uh, but they're never exhaustive lists. Here we have 15 vices in Galatians chapter 6 mentioned, uh, grouped into four categories. We have the sexual vice, immorality, impurity, debauchery, false worship, idolatry and witchcraft, interpersonal relationships, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, and personal excess, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Orgies probably is a reference to a festival procession in honour of Dionysus and the other gods similar uh, that would be similar today for our Mardi Gras uh, that's held in Sydney. These would include gross immoralities and excessiveness. Pohul said, Since interpersonal relationships were a problem in Galatia, Paul weighted the list in that direction. So it's those interpersonal relationships of hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfishness, dissensions that he hones in on in this particular list. And then he gives a warning about the, the personal excesses and the sexual vices. He says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is where the rubber really hits the road. You're going to fail you are going to sin. Martin Luther said, we are simultaneously righteous and a sinner. And I guess we all can relate to that. We're simultaneously uh, doing what God wants us to do, but at the same time, we're conscious that our heart leans towards sin and we fail. The problem becomes when we surrender to sin, especially when we fail to repent of it and we continue to repeat it. We all sin, we all make mistakes, but then the Holy Spirit is the one who touches our heart, gives us a sensitivity that, to that, and we confess that, and we're forgiven and move forward. In the handout, uh, you have the scripture 1 John 3, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. 
No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, how do we apply this? How long have some of us been spreading negative attitudes? How long have some of us been viewing pornography? How long have some of us had a bitterness that's, uh, that, that we hold in our life against a brother or a sister? How long are we trapped in a cycle of a personal sin? I have no doubt that when as a group we ask ourselves those questions, there are some of us that get convicted. As I got convicted, as I prepared this sermon, as I examined my own heart and realised the, the inadequacies of my own life. Maybe it's in secret. Maybe it's hidden. But there's stuff inside that we've got to deal with. And I would suggest to you that this passage of scripture is that we've got to make war against it. Verse 24 says, what is the answer to such sin? Let us crucify it. Those who, who follow Jesus crucify their flesh along with its desires and inclinations every day. If you're being convicted right now, if a specific sin or series of sins come to mind right now, then the spirit is at work in your life. Listen to what God is telling you. Make war by trusting in the finished work of Christ and the presence and power of his spirit in your life. We have spent a lot of time with uni students, mainly overseas students, and one thing I have observed that separates student life from married life is the amount of rubbish in the place where they live. It seems they couldn't care less about the messiness where they live until they get married. In fact, somewhere the messiness is a badge of honour. And, and I might add, it is not only the guys. In today's insistence on equality, the girls are just as messy, I have observed. Likewise, in our life, we need to get rid of the messiness, of the rubbish. Those who are not saved not only habitually practice but also celebrate their sin. But the redeemed know that walking by the Spirit means to get rid of the rubbish that contradicts the character of God, that is inconsistent with what we believe. How can we be conformed to the image of God whenever we continue to wallow in the mire, as it were? In verses 22 to 23, we have the list of the, the fruits of the, the Spirit. And uh, we've always we've already been introduced to the fruit salad uh, this morning, and so uh, we have the list of uh, the nine fruits of the spirit because uh, the new life involves the spirit, love. The fruit of the spirit is love in Christian love in Christian living. 
It is the love for God with heart, mind, soul and strength that determines our agenda each day. It's our compassion for the poor. It's a recognition that the needs of others that that motivate us to respond to those needs. This is Christian living, motivated by love. Where there is oppression, where there is injustice, where there is poverty, we don't close an eye to it. We respond to it in some very practical ways. Some commentators insist that love, the first of the fruit of the Spirit listed here, encompasses all the other characteristics on the list, and we would agree. Joy. Joy has no relationship to our circumstances. It's joy that's inherent through our relationship with God. Peace, like joy, peace has no relationship to circumstances. No matter whether we're up or whether we're down, we're going through difficulties or we're on a high That joy remains because of our relationship with Jesus. Patience has to do with tolerance and long-suffering that endure injuries inflicted by others. The calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating or painful without lashing out, without trying to get our own back. Kindness, compassion for the poor and and for the oppressed. It relates to the tender concern of for others that becomes natural as we live spirit-filled lives. Goodness, it's love in action, responding to the needs. Faithfulness pertains to loyalty and trustworthiness. Gentleness, better translation would be meekness. Gentleness uh, suggests outward behaviour, whereas meekness suggests an inward behaviour and self-control, temperance, a mastery of self Now, as we just mentioned, these fruits of the Spirit that many of you have listed many times and and read many times, uh, do these reflect your life? Do they describe where you are at this particular time? As I mentioned, we've spent time with international students. We have observed that messiness is common in their rooms and apartments. The only time guys or girls would clean up was when visitors were expected. For the guys, mess usually straightens out whenever there is a woman around, you know. Their language changes, their dress changes, their untidiness and, and even the rubbish. But as followers of Jesus, we are at war with the flesh and the sign that we are saved is the fruit that we bear. Our language changes, we clean out the rubbish daily. It's in love and obedience. It's where we, we put into practice the fact that, that, that our Lord's last command is in fact our first priority. That we are to make disciples. And that's what motivates us. That's in fact what we've cleaned out the rubbish and it gives us uh, the clarity to, to focus in on priorities that Jesus has, has given to us uh, as his people. No spirit, no fruit. If you have the spirit, you will bear fruit and that fruit will remain because we are obeying the command that Jesus has given. And when we do that collectively, change starts to happen. Transformation in individuals' lives start to happen. And so these are a few thoughts about Christian living that comes from from item eight of our uh, uh, doctrine of faith through the uh, CVAT uh, doctrinal statement. And then we come to uh, the, the second item, item nine. And here we have morality and marriage. Conformity is doing what everybody else is doing regardless of whether it's right or wrong. 
Morality is doing what is right regardless of what everybody else is doing. And here we're talking about morality and we're talking about marriage. Since the 70s, as we're all aware, the family has been under attack as a society. As a society, we have ignored God's word and we have drifted into no man's land of everybody doing what is right in their own eyes and ignoring the biblical values that once were the foundation of our communities. Now we find ourselves in the predicament where we reject moral absolutes. We cannot distinguish between right and wrong. And that's similar to times past. In, in fact, uh, oh, and we're going to, in item nine, we're going to look at uh, marriage as well. In times past, it was a similar thing to what we're, nothing's new under the sun as it were. In Isaiah chapter five, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deny justice to the innocent. You know, now this is Isaiah's time. Now how relevant is that for us today? The devil has a number of tools that he uses uh, as enemies against uh, uh, tools against uh, the family and the enemies of the family in our society today the devil tries to use these tools in his arsenal to try and destroy the family life and some would say in our recent in our present debate about equality uh, in marriage that it's not about equality at all it's really about destroying the traditional marriage it's not about demanding your rights that you can choose your partner. It's about, in fact, destroying what God has provided for us. The three that I would suggest this morning is divorce, is an enemy of the family. Now, one out of every three marriages in our country end up in divorce. Alcohol is an enemy of the family. Almost every situation where there is marital discord and domestic violence, you will find that alcohol is a feature. Materialism is an enemy of the family. In our families we have an abundance of material things but that doesn't seem to have made us very happy. We have more cars and yet less compatibility. We have more gadgets and we have less grace. We have more luxuries and yet we have less love. We, have, we are finding out that an accumulation of material things does not necessarily give you a stable or happy family. Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 4, Have you not read? And then he quotes Genesis 2. He is referring here to the formation of the original marriage and the original family. And the Bible says that God brought all the animals to Adam so that Adam could give them a name. When Adam saw all those animals and their respective mates, he, it dawned on him that he was not alone in the world. He had God, but there was no other person with whom Adam could share his life. And God said in verse 18 of chapter 2, this was not good. So God created this desire within Adam for a mate and God satisfied that desire in chapter 2 verses 21 to 25. And the Bible tells us how God formed the woman from Adam's rib and gave her to the man. So God planned and organised and conducted the first wedding. And the animals were the witnesses. On that day, God brought Adam and Eve together in holy matrimony as they were married. 
I have a feeling that Adam looked over at her and said, you're the only girl in the world for me. And and that was true. (laughs) And she couldn't say, I want you to know I had lots of offers before you came along. (laughs) So, So the family unit was formed and the first marriage came into existence. The Lord Jesus quotes this from Genesis 2 and he makes a strange statement. He mentions it twice in the verse. He says in verse 5, he says, The two shall be one flesh. Then he says it again in verse 6, They are no longer two but one. And this is the same thing that God says in Genesis 2, right from the beginning. God uses some very strange maths here. You know, the two are one. You know, one and one make one. How does that work out, you know? The word of God says that God took one man and one woman and he put them together and they became one. One plus one equals one. If you're going to have, could I suggest to you this morning that if you're going to have a strong family and a strong relationship between parent and child and siblings in the family, you first of all have to have a strong marriage relationship. God says the way to have a strong family relationship is to understand this principle, one plus one equals one. And I would like to suggest to you this morning that it's one physically, it's one psychologically, and it's one spiritually. And you've got that listed on your outline. Firstly, we look at one plus one, one plus one equals one physically. We begin by exploring the physical union, or sorry, should I say man was made in the image of God. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity. That is, God is the, in the Godhead is three persons. He is Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. Three persons of one God. Man is a trinity. Man is also a trinity. Every person is made up of body, soul and spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23, Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul or being. God made the human body. He breathed the spirit of life into it and man became a living soul. When marriage takes place as God intended, the man and the woman becomes one physically, psychologically and spiritually. We begin by exploring the physical portion of our lives. There is a physical union that occurs in marriage. There are several statements about the physical relationship that exists between a husband and wife that need to be made. Sex is a gift of God. Sex is of God and it is good when it is within the circle God intends it to be in the circle of marriage. There are two things that I would like to highlight. There is a word of perversion in the scriptures and there is a word of prevention. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, Paul speaks of how some pervert God's plan for human sexuality. And he warns those who misuse it that they give proof of their lost condition before God and before man. Sex can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing depending where this gift, where this gift is found. Let me illustrate. The same as fire. Fire, is fire good or bad? You know, fire is good if it's being used 
to keep us warm or to cook, but it's bad if it occurs in the roof of your house or in the walls. Proverbs 6, verse 23 and 29 says it. We are living in a culture today where people, especially young people, are being told that there is nothing spiritual about sex. People talk about casual sex. We have a generation of people who have been taught and believed that they basically came from animals. Therefore, if they come from animals, it's okay to live their lives as animals. One generation has come to believe, our generation has come to believe, that unregulated sex between consenting partners is okay. Parents are providing birth control for their children. Parents are facilitating opportunities for their children to be sexually active. The number of teenagers that are sexually active in our high schools absolutely is, is devastating in my opinion. Look at what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about sexual immorality. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with, with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins of a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from him? And so uh, this particular scripture, uh, 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 sorry, I didn't, uh, who were received from God. You are not your own, you have been bought with a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. There it is, one flesh statement again. Something occurs when the sexual act occurs, whether it is between a husband and wife or whether it is between two people who are not married. Sex is never a casual act. Something takes place physically. Something takes place psychologically. Something takes place spiritually. So it is not a casual matter. When there is sexual relationship that exists outside the boundaries that God has established, it never ends well. It brings fear of disease, unwanted pregnancy. It brings guilt. It shatters relationships. When sex exists outside the boundaries created by God, it reveals the true nature of your spiritual life and your relationship with God. And so the scriptures are very clear about this. And then secondly, there's a word of prevention in 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee fornication or sexual immorality. That means run away. Run. You should never get yourself into a position where you can be compromised sexually. You should never be caught in circumstances or influences. You should never be, you should never be caught in those situations that would cause you to be unfaithful in your marriage relationship or impure in your personal life. Do not expose yourself that anything could hinder your walk with God, damage your testimony and harm your relationship with your spouse. When it comes to sin and immorality, flee. Run, be a first-class coward. You know, Joseph, of course, is the ideal illustration. Leave your garment and run. Well, keep your garment more better and just get out of here. All right, one, one plus one equals one physically. Finally, in exasperation, uh, he sorry, uh, and one physically. And so we come to the second. One plus one equals one psychologically. And we have uh, several things here to learn. 
Not only does a married couple become one body, they also become one soul. We each possess a physical nature and we all possess a psychological nature as well. This means that you possess an intellect. You think, you have emotions, you feel, you have volition, you make decisions, you have a will. You exercise that will. When we are married, we become one physically with our mates, but we also become one with them mentally. It is in marriage that the partners work towards this whole matter of psychological compatibility. Sometimes people get divorced and they will state as the grounds for that divorce that they are incompatible. Some people simply cannot live together because they are incompatible. Dr Billy Graham used to say that he and his wife were happily incompatible, he used to say. I like that. The problem that many couples experience is that they fail to factor God into their incompatibilities. They try to make it work using human energy and when it doesn't go to suit them, they walk away from their marriage. There is no sense of commitment. There is no sense of absolute devotion. We are the people who would rather, where are the people who would rather die than allow their marriages to fail? I read about a couple who were having all kinds of problems and they went to the marriage counsellor who tried very hard to help them work out those problems and finally, in exasperation, he said, isn't there anything you two have in common? And the wife said, well, there's one thing, neither of us can stand the other. (laughs) And so we look at, at two things here, one, intellectual oneness, and second, emotional oneness. To develop intellectual oneness of mind and thought, there has to be communication. Now, I'm going to admit right up front that we men are are normally a, a large part of the problem when it comes to this area of communication. We just don't communicate our feelings very well. A few suggestions about uh, communication. Uh, Learn to listen to the other person is always good. When you talk, it would be good to look look at one another. You know, it wouldn't even hurt to turn off the TV. (laughs) Sorry. It might not even hurt to lean forward and get a little closer to one another. Learn to handle your anger. We have so much anger in our culture. There is much anger in family relationships today and when people are angry, they handle it in one of several ways. They either just blow up or they clam up or or sometimes they throw up the past <laughs> the past and we and so we need to learn as couples to open up and learn to properly express ourselves and then thirdly we need to learn not to dwell in the past on the past there comes a time when you have to let go the wrongs of the past there comes a time when forgiveness kicks in and the past is allowed to be the past and you move forward The second thing that we note is emotional oneness. And emotional oneness, the word operative here is consideration. We have to learn to be considerate of one another. There are three basic needs uh, that every individual has. Uh, There is a need to be loved. There is a need to be respected or valued. And there is the need to feel appreciated. And husbands and wives, we need to examine our hearts whether or not our 
our spouse feels loved or valued or appreciated. They need to feel that they, that they do matter and that someone is appreciative of the things that they do. Consideration goes a long way towards helping a marriage to be the marriage that we all desire and that God meant it to be. Of course, nobody marries the perfect mate, except for perhaps Nola, but, (laughs) you know, there's no, no, no one... No one marries the perfect mate. But obviously if we take these things in consideration, we can respond to each other's needs. There will always be some measure of incompatibility between spouses. But we can work together toward achieving greater harmony in our relationship. So one plus one equals one physically. One plus one equals one psychologically. And finally, one plus one equals one spiritually. You are more than a body with skin and bones and organs. You are more than a soul with thoughts and feelings and with drives and desires. You are also spirit. That means you have the capacity to relate to God. If you do not understand the spiritual component of marriage and family, you have everything else in your favour, but there will be this gnawing feeling that there is still something missing in your relationship. I believe the most important thing we need to learn in marriage and family is that we need to be like Jesus. How does being like Jesus relate to marriage and the family? The Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is saying that in our marriage relationships, we have to learn to love one another the way Jesus loves us sacrificially how did Jesus love us he loved us sacrificially Christ gave himself for the church Christ loved the church we have to learn to love like Jesus that is why God warns believers not to marry unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 it says do not yoke, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness unless the spirit of god dwells in the hearts of both spouses the marriage will never be all that god intends it to be it will never be all that it could be now you know when i read a verse like that i always feel that i should say something you know we have a daughter who married a non-believer and it's always been a struggle. And and I don't want to come over in a negative way. We've, we've loved that guy and we continue to pray for that guy. And the scripture is clear. If you're one who is married a non-believer, it's not condemn, condemning you. It's saying, well, there's different rules now. And you have to relate to that person in different ways. And the scripture gives. If you've made that decision, well, you accept that, you move on, you be faithful... And the scripture says how how you operate in that relationship with one is a non-believer and one is not. And God gives very clear principles. And you demonstrate through a holiness of life. what it be. Again, you be like Jesus. And, and you'll win that partner over. But there's a lot of pain because of that decision. Uh, things are different. Maybe there'll be limitations about your involvement in service. There'll certainly things delayed because of that decision. But But all is not lost. You know, God has a plan for your future 
and is able to use you in a way that will will bring honour and glory to him. So don't feel as though by quoting that, if you're sitting here this morning and you've made that decision many years ago, that there's no hope for the future. There is. God's made provision for that, and he's given you instruction. And you can have a very effective ministry, not only to your spouse, but also to people around you to model what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The scripture says, don't be yoked together, what fellowship can light have with darkness, etc., etc. Unless the Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of both spouses, the marriage will never be all that it wants to be. You'll, you'll sense that loss, but you'll be the presence of God in that relationship and that love will be unconditional. Even when both partners are believers, it's not easy to love your mate like Jesus loved the church because of the flesh, because of the selfishness that comes. Listen carefully. It's real hard for you to love your mate the way you should at all times, but not for the reason you think. It's hard for you to love your mate, not because of your mate, but because of you. Not because of my my wife, but because of me. And, you know, it's all very well. We dealt with it last week about the fall of man and how we blame other people and it's always somebody else's. And where are we going to take, where are we going to be? Accountable. Where are we going to take responsibility for our own actions? And that's what we've got to do. No use hand passing it always. Somebody else's fault. Take responsibility. Take ownership. And then there can be some change under the, the guidance of God and the power of his spirit. Most of us are basically selfish. A lot of people enter into marriage and family with the wrong idea. They go in asking, not what I can give to this relationship, but what I can get from this relationship. I've watched the couples that I've married over the years. They come from for marriage prep all excited and madly in love and they think they're heading for a Shangri-La but some don't realise that they're heading for, you know, World War III, you know, and that's not North Korea. They, they are headed. You know, they're so innocent. And, and uh, you know, we try to bring some degree of reality to that. The number one problem in marriage and family is this selfishness issue. The marriage becomes about me, my needs and what I want and what I think with absolutely no regard for my spouse. The best thing that could ever happen in our homes is for both husband and wives to become more like Jesus and we must learn to love our mate and love our family as Jesus loved the church. Some married couples have been trying everything they know to do that. They've been to counselling sessions, they've read books. What they really need is a personal faith and relationship with the Lord Jesus. You cannot be like Jesus until you come to Jesus and he comes into your life and into your heart by the new birth experience being born again. You can't be like Jesus Christ until Christ is in you, in your heart and in your life. Some people just need to admit to the Lord that they are sinners and call on Jesus to forgive them and to save them. That is a great home improvement project. If you ever get your heart renovated, it will change the spiritual temperature of your home. It will forever revolutionise your marriage. I'm calling on our families and our married couples to work towards spiritual oneness. Pray together, study the word together. Don't allow busyness to rob you of a family devotional time. Be intentional about it. It's so easy to let it slide, to go week after week after week and never do it. Love and serve Jesus together in the church and watch him change you and your home for his glory. We've come to the end. Amen, some people say.
so one plus one equals one. He is a God is able to take two people from totally two different backgrounds, bring them together in Jesus, and make them one physically, psychologically, and spiritually. And that's a beautiful thing. I wonder today if you need to come and pray with and your spouse. Do you need to bring your children before the Lord today? Do you need to repent of of some selfishness or self-centeredness? Do you need to come to Jesus for salvation? Do you need to come to Jesus and apologise or or to a partner and apologise to your spouse for the way you've acted towards them? Let's obey his voice. Let's, in fact, uh, wage war against the flesh and live spirit-filled and spirit-controlled lives in our home that will reflect uh, our relationship with him. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, help us to love one another. Help us, Father, to respond with compassion for the poor and, and, and seek justice for the oppressed. Father, as your people, we want to be obedient to your great commission and to make and to make disciples father we want to live unselfish lives we want to live lives that will sacrifice for the good of other people father help us to be faithful in our relationships help us father to model what it means to 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 be a follower of jesus help us in the inconsistencies where our our walk doesn't match our talk reveal that to us Things that we believe don't always follow through in our actions. Help us, Lord, to not only hear the word but to to do it. Help us to be a, a model in the community of unity and harmony that comes with of, through your intention, how that one plus one equals one. And, Father, that we'll model uh, what it means uh, to be uh, a Christian family. Father, we thank you the components that we've reflected briefly upon and what we believe about Christian living and what we believe about morality and, and, and marriage. Father, we pray that we'll be able to project that to community for their good and for your glory so that they too will come to know Jesus and, and the beauty of the life that you have in store for us. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to that end today and we commit each other to you. In Jesus' precious and worthy name, and the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.